Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Welcome. Welcome to the Threefold Sangha. Daibosatsu Zendo with Shingiroshi and the residents, New York Zendo and Hoenji. And of course, on Zoom, on this technology, everyone who joins us, welcome. Seeing the monks and nuns, the ordained, having changed to their winter robes is a good indication that fall has come. The change happens usually sometime in mid-October. It means summer has gone, fall is here. It's getting colder, it is getting darker. The change of the season brings us towards Rohatsu eventually. And we are very fortunate that in this journey that leads us to Rohatsu, we still have two full session coming up. Hoenji, fall session, then the Jukai session, harvest session, and finally Rohatsu. It's wonderful to see you all here. And sometimes in this getting darker, questions come up that we don't encounter in springtime when everything blooms, everything expands and life is abundant. But here it seems the opposite, it's getting darker darker and darker. And we live in a place, in a time, in a society, in a culture, in a civilization, in which every day, many of us face a tsunami of information. Humanity has grown so large that we have so many gifted authors, artists, painters, musicians, human beings, that it is as impossible as it had been in the Middle Ages to know of all of them. But having the possibility to gain access or to be exposed to it still might create some anxiety. How can I not miss out? Missing out, feeling left out, is a human feeling that we all encounter in our lifetime. More or less strong, but certainly one of the basic experiences that we have. That's why it is so wonderful to find a teaching that often speaks about happiness. Happiness and peace. 
Well, maybe one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, what is that happiness? How do we as human beings make happiness reality? Or is it just a word? Is it just a concept? These are all very good questions. So please allow me today to just elaborate a little bit on that vein of contemplation about happiness. Of course, the first, at, at, at the first look, of course, everybody wants to be happy. But as practitioners in a tradition like Zen or in other traditions that similarly contemplate human existence, we very soon arrive at the realization, well, isn't happiness and unhappiness just another pair of this dualistic condition in which we find ourselves? And it's a very accurate thought. So how does happiness and dualism work? Well, it, of course, points us to the very, very important investigation of that very human condition of being split, of being split and even being split and contemplating it might lead to some kind of identity that we might take as practitioners. If we look at the Japanese philosophers from the Kyoto school, Nishida Kitaro, for example, he wrote about it and he came up with a term that is Zetai Mujun Teki Jiko Doitsu, the absolute contradictor, contradictory self identity. We become aware of that. We live in contradictions. We live in a place that through the arising of our human consciousness is cut into two. My ordination teacher, uh, Joshu Roshi, he used to say, borrowing a term from the Christian vocabulary, he used to say that the human being's original sin is that they were born into this world that is split, or so it appears, I would add. And in this world, reciprocity or complementarity are very important to make part of this whole contemplation. We know everything that is just one-sided has the other side in this world of split between this and that subject and object. And the same is true, happiness and unhappiness. 
Now, as soon as we begin to take ourselves less important, or another way to do it is to look at it from an abstract point of view, which is another human way of doing it. If one person or one place is happy, somebody else is equally unhappy. That's quite something to realize. All is relative in this world. So here is a writer, Matt Haig, who wrote a book entitled Reasons to Stay Alive. Let me share a little bit of his expression of this conundrum. Matt Haig says, the world is increasingly designed to depress us. Happiness isn't very good for the economy. If we were happy with what we had, why would we need more? How do you sell an anti-aging moisturizer? You make someone worry about aging. How do you get people to vote for a political party? You make them worry about immigration. How do you get them to buy insurance? By making them worry about everything. How do you get them to have plastic surgery? By highlighting their physical flaws. How do you get them to watch a TV show? By making them worry about missing out. How do you get them to buy a new smartphone? By making them feel like they are being left behind. To be calm becomes a kind of revolutionary act. To be happy with your own non-upgraded existence. To be comfortable with our messy human selves would not be good for business. This is what Matt Haig says. Interesting. Yet. Also from the two-dimensional world. Even if we read something like this that feels and resonates with us, because we know how capitalism works, how to bait for more profit, how to compare in a way to be able to get somebody else to do something. It's the same thinking that stands behind telling others, oh yeah, you should be happy with your non-upgraded existence. 
You should be comfortable with your messy human self. But as we know from our practice and what brings us here, it is exactly that messy human self and our not being able to be at peace with it in the way it is that we engage in the clarification of this matter. What resonates the most here in this little piece from his book is to be calm becomes a kind of revolutionary act. This is a door. This is the door that opens for the reader to not be sucked in by this dynamic of a dog-eat-dog world, of a constant competition of one-upmanship, one-upwomanship. And all goes back to well, the first noble truth, the historical Buddha declared very little. But the first thing that he declared was that the truth of dukkha, everything is unsatisfactory in this world, in this human world. Why is that so? It is so obvious when we see into the nature of duality. This leaves out that. That leaves out this. And therefore this and that are both incomplete. Happiness, if we want to speak about happiness, maybe we should speak about completeness. Being able to be complete without leaving out this, without leaving out that. This zettai mujun teki jiko doitsu, the absolute contradictory self-identity of the human being is what cuts the world into two. In Zen practice, we speak about ichi mu ichi, three kanji, the one for one, the one for mu, and again, one. One without one. One with a capital O without one with a lowercase O. That is completeness. So we live in this world that is relative of subject and object. And relative has a really A connotation, this is only relative. It is 
relative, it is not absolute. We want the absolute. We don't want the relative. Do you want to be happy or relatively happy? No, you want to be absolutely happy. But let us realize that the root of this word, word relative, is to relate. And that brings us to this practice of relationship. What kind of relationship do we actualize in our daily existence? Is it a relationship of comparison, of contrast, of leaving out that what is complementary to what we affirm, of creating incompleteness by negation. These are very, very deep questions. Making relationship in this world where our mind tends to build identity, to compare, to engage in one upmanship. So what about identity? We have all reached to the book of the Diamond Sutra so many times. And happiness and identity are clearly laid out in the Diamond Sutra. The Buddha asks, does a holy one say to themselves, I am a holy one? Subhuti answers, no world honored one, because there is no such condition as being a holy one. World honored one, if a holy one said to themselves, such am I, they would necessarily be cherishing the idea of an ego entity, a personality, a being or a separated individuality. World honored one, when the Buddha declares that I excel among holy persons in quintessential samadhi, in dwelling in seclusion, and in freedom from passions, I do not say to myself, I am a holy one, free from passions. World honored one, if I said to myself, such am I, you would not declare, Subhuti finds happiness abiding in peace in seclusion. This is because Subhuti abides nowhere. Therefore, I am called Subhuti, joyful abider in peace, dweller in seclusion. Now, when we look at this wonderful passage from the Diamond Sutra, we might apply our mind of picking and choosing what is it that led 
Subhuti to be at peace. And we can see Subhuti was led to peace by dwelling in seclusion, in freedom from passions. Yet we can't make that into objects for ourselves. Who's called Subhuti here? Raise your hand. What makes you happy? We need to learn to see, to realize, to actualize, not what Subhuti said, but what Subhuti did. No comparison. Comparison is like the sword that creates the distance. And that's what it's for. When it comes to compare the length of the wood that you have to cut to the size of the opening in which it should fit, this is a wonderful place and very appropriate place to use the tool of comparison and measurement. But when it comes to making relationship with each other, with sentient beings, with insentient beings, that comparison that has to do with I am and this is something else is wholly in a place that might bring us unhappiness. The reciprocity or complementarity is a sign of incompleteness. Anshin, the peace of heart, the peace of mind is not experienced while distance is created. Relative means in relationship. Now, of course, you could say we are always in relationship. Everything is conditional. Conditions, of course, conditions are relations. Yes, and you are absolutely right. But even though Subhuti speaks about not abiding with passions, His passion, his full engagement was to be without attachment to passions. Sometimes people read these words and see a dull person sitting in torn rags somewhere in a dark cave, not participating in this life. Even though this was Subhuti's path and choice, the passion with it, the full engagement, did not leave a smidgen of a thousandth of an inch that would allow for comparison, that would allow for distance 
to creep in. Hence, Subhuti was fulfilled and happy. In that tsunami of news that we are exposed to every day, we also like to pick out that what we feel is good news. Or maybe we select the news that upsets us more. We know that our society has moved more and more from an information society into an affirmation society. The opportunity to find what affirms our own beliefs has become so prevalent. It has become a business model. It has been a business model for the news for a long time. Shock, shock will give ratings. Ratings will bring money. Money will bring influence. So, in our own thinking, the same process happens all the time. There's one channel that is the ego channel that is very convincing, that knows how to rile us up, come up with something outrageous to gain attention. Meanwhile, a lot of things just pass by that deeply are creating disharmony and that speak to the nature of dukkha, of unsatisfactory existence. We like to hear that the malaria vaccine now is available and will save 500,000 mostly children's lives. It's a wonderful thought. It's a wonderful expression of, of our human ability to work in this world and to do good and to heal. At the same time, voluntarily, some in this society do not choose to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. About a thousand people die every day. And even the malaria vaccine, I wonder how many of that half a million children will still die from hunger. And they are dying at the clip of 10,000 a day. Where do we find happiness in a world like this? And the only answer is to look at the relative. This is the world we live in. How do we relate? How do we actualize our insight into these deep underlying contradictory aspects of our selfhood. 
And as a Buddhist practitioner, in this context, passion in being alive, passion in investigating this is a wonderful driver. It's a wonderful energy bringing us forward, the manifestation of both Avalokiteshvara, Kannon Bosatsu, and at the same time, Manjushri, Monju Bosatsu, wisdom and compassion. And then comes Jizo, who goes down into this hell where we find ourselves to help pull those out of danger who need assistance. Relationship means engagement. Engagement with this. You might say this talk is on the darker side. Well, it is fall. At the same time, in this dualistic world, with darkness comes light. And the realization of stepping out of the contradictory self-identity brings together that light and darkness into ichi mu ichi. One without one. Let us all dig deep. Let us all act passionately in this investigation, in this realization, and this actualization of our vow. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.